Right, uh, welcome to Radio Zaza, short for Radio Zazzy, um, the place for your queer quarantine goodness, queer quarantine... Quirks. Quirks, there we go, very nice. Um, I'm Hannah Bestwick and I'm here with... Daisy Thurston Gent. And we're going to keep talking about queer stuff, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, Daisy, how are you? I'm alright, you know, I've had a bit of a bit of a anxious week you know um yeah a bit up and down but i think i'm feeling a bit better for connecting connecting with you again and i'm looking hey. forward to some some conversation and interesting topics and learning a little bit um yeah how are you how are you doing yeah i'm doing okay i'm i'm a bit stressed at work because they've got me doing things just things one thing after another and um yeah, I ran a workshop today on some very important element of the project we're running, and it just, it just, it just was it's not. Sort of back to school rush at the moment, <sighs> isn't it? It was, and the whole time, like I came out of my room because obviously working from home, I came out of my room and I was just like really sweaty, but it's cold in the room, so I just, it was like such a juxtaposition, or like a, I don't know what's the other word for when something shouldn't be oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't right. It wasn't right, but uh, <laughs> you know, we're sort of getting towards the end of that now we're so here right. now and you know the sweat levels are are regulated tolerable sweat levels yep definitely. Know, we're not under a blanket this week um so we're not super hot and sweaty in our kind of recording fort yes though i uh have to admit i've lost the charging cable or the power cable for my recorder so we're using an internal microphone instead of external so the audio will be varied sorry mistakes happen you know we're all we're all human here Okay, so um, I think because you, Daisy, went last week, I suppose it's probably me first this week. Okay, so you know how um, last time I was talking about Greek mythology and um, how to enjoy their sort of sheer randiness and willing to just have sex with anything that moves. <laughs> I, I mentioned a writer slash like researcher um, called Dav, uh, Davdut Patanik, who wrote a book called The Man Who Was a Woman and Other Queer Tales of Hindu Law. I I really enjoy the sort of glimpse of that that I saw, and um, I can't afford to buy the book. It's about £30 just for the book, and it's £22 to rent it, which is, it just doesn't feel right. So, is it a big book? You know, is it a gold coffee table book? I do. I think it probably is, like, quite a big, substantial book. It looks like a lot of research over a number of years, like, many years of... Um, researching Hindu folklore, but at the moment, I can't afford it, although I do want to buy it. Hannah's birthday is coming up next month. Yeah, uh, just so you know. Days. Both of our birthdays are coming up, just uh, for reference. Um, so, actually, uh, so uh, Devdut um, has his own website, and it's devdut.com. Amazing. Devdut.com. And I, I just think that's the best name that he could possibly have. It's very straightforward, and um, he has lots of things on there, lots of articles that he's written, and also he's an illustrator ah. so he does children's books on hindu folklore which is i think is very oh, that's cute lovely. yeah exactly so um i i think maybe just for courtesy i'll lay down a bit of uh, sort of basic groundwork on what hinduism is it's a fusion of various indian cultures and traditions that have developed over sort of thousands of years but today is primarily considered an indian religion and although um uh, though it's it's practiced all across the world so it's the third largest religion and has over 1.25 billion followers. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, so 
and in and many sort of descriptions it's considered like a way of life rather than a religion solely okay described as having as being a drama which is way of life rather than religion um it guides in things like being honest refraining from injuring any other living beings um having patience self-restraint compassion all those sorts of things that are often quite core tenets to a religion but it also includes things like um, ethics duties work desires and passion life and rebirth Mm. and karma which we kind of do associate with that that's uh, part like of the world moral code the thing that that sort of strikes me as particularly different in it is is that karma your negative actions will come round and kind of you know bite you in the ass okay so you will suffer the consequence of your own actions in this life because they uh, in hinduism they have um, life and rebirth it will maybe affect you in the next life Whereas in kind of Christianity and, mm. um, but in, particularly in Christianity, there is an eternal hell where you will suffer for your deeds, mm. okay? Um, rather than being like, your life will be affected because of the bad things you do. Okay, so there's Hindu texts written about up to the colonial period. These are kind of like, you know, the epics, like the Greek epics, but they have like same-sex relationships without being coy or like considering them a sin. But when the British rulers came in, they passed an anti-seldomy law, which then sort of changed the attitudes towards same-sex relationships within mm. India. It did that in a number of places. And actually, one thing that I've, I've read recently is that um, countries where they are legalising or decriminalising same-sex relations, it's, it's an act of decolonization. So particularly in Botswana, that was one of the, one of the things that was discussed um, as well. You know, when that anti-sodomy law was passed, a lot of scholars and sort of religious leaders, l- likely in order to avoid prosecution, sort of turned their back on same-sex relations and, and changed their attitudes towards it and things like polytheism, polygamy, uh, sex outside the marriage as well as uh, same-sex relationships. So I mentioned the epics, you know, the epic stories. In these, there's you know, there's all sorts of characters, and they do change depending on the, the story that yeah. you're being told, um, or who's telling the story even, or when it's being told. But there's lots of examples of, like, a really big theme is gender fluidity. There's lots of gender changing, or being gef- different genders at, uh, from time to time, or being a combination of forms for mm. a particular reason. Uh, mostly sexy, sexy reasons. Um, just so you know, and the gods are also the gods also extend their gender superpowers uh, to changing non-divine beings, so just humans, um, into other sexes or genders. <laughs> yeah, the, the regular folk, uh, changing their sex or gender. As sometimes a curse and sometimes a blessing. Mm. Um, or, you know, there's even a belief that, you know, you, you if you're you, Daisy, TG, um, you may be reincarnated into a man's body, but you will still have the same soul. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that may also be a reason for changing sex or gender. Okay. okay. Oh, for reincarnation? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So it might just be, it's just, can just be part of the natural your cycle. Your soul transcends your, your form. Mm. Your, yeah, your physical form. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I read I read quite an interesting article by I'm going to try and say his name James Besanvale Besanvale let's go with that so he said that these these sort of reflections of Hindu ancient Hindu societies in these epics these older poems in these it seems that homosexuality was not considered a sin and there's one medical textbook which was dated around 600 BC and it gave recognition of two types of men uh, sorry two types of gay men which are roughly i would argue translated as a top or a bottom although they put it in slightly different words 
Yeah, just to really kind of simplify it. Yeah, exactly. There's only two types. There's nothing in between, apparently. Um, but it also, in this textbook, it also mentions men behaving like women and women behaving like men as a predetermined trait. So it's 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 determined at conception. So it's not a choice. You're just you're mm. either going to be that way or you're not going to be that way, and you don't have a choice about it. It's not it. nurture. It's just nature yeah it's just nature and i thought that was that was quite nice a nice reflection (laughs) on that um it does have one hilarious point that um if two women have sex and conceive a baby as a result of it it will be born without bones because they believe that the the men the father provides the bones of the operation yeah women just bring jelly to the table we just bring the the gloop And the then we need emotion. we need the bones to structure it around. Is that maybe where boner comes from? Boner. Boner. I don't know. Probably not. And then I think coming back to what we were saying, actually. So there's been a, a multiple scholars and philosophers who. Um, so actually, hang on. This this um, this little section that I've just been been talking about was uh, James wrote for Gay Star News. So just so you know that I'll I'll link that article. And he said that there's been. Um, quite a number of scholars and philosophers who talk about how the soul is neither male nor female. So it just is. It is what it is. It's a divine part of who we are. You can't say that it's masculine or feminine. It's just it's just a soul. It's more that when you start talking about sex and getting religious people involved in conversations about te- uh, sex, you start getting all caught up in like, well, it's just for procreation. And then, you know, same sex, um, sexual activity doesn't really make babies. And so... How do you how do you incorporate that into mm. your your sort of religion or your um, way of life? Yeah. And people get a bit squeamish when they talk about sex, particularly uh, sex they don't understand. If it doesn't have like a, you know an immediate uh, function, you know, from the outside perspective, uh, if it doesn't have a, a teaching or a learning, you know, what's it for? I yeah, guess. what's it for? If it's not making a product, yeah, it's useless. It feels almost like yeah, it feels like such a like. Such a, a result of capitalism, be like, if it doesn't produce anything, it's useless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so actually, I wanted to talk about, I uh, wanted to just highlight some of the quotes in this article that I thought were really nice. So, in 2002, uh, Hindu scholar Ruth Van Vanita interviewed Shaiva uh, Ashiv, a priest who performed a marriage ceremony for two women. And the priest said that having studied Hindu scriptures, he concluded marriage is a union of spirits and the spirit is neither male nor female and then um, again when asked about homosexuality Sri Sri Ravi uh, who was the founder of International Art of Living Movement said every individual has both male and female in them sometimes one dominates sometimes the other it's all fluid and I think that that sort of reflects the Native American belief in the two spirit mm. you know having both inside mm. and one is more dominant sometimes in some people and then there was a third one so the math- mathematician Shakuntala Devi interviewed Srinivasa this is a very long name Raghava Charya Raghava Charya a head priest of the of a temple in her 1977 book The World of Homosexuals um, they, she told her that same-sex partners must have been cross-sex partners in a former life. The gender may change, but the soul retains its attachments, hence mm. love impels them towards one another. So they're always sort of destined, their souls are always destined to be together, regardless of what form they're in in each life? Yeah, sort of. I think so. And I think it's more like you have an inherent... You, you have a soul, mm. okay, in, in this idea, and your soul is attracted to something another soul and that you know that may be that your soul is particularly attracted to 
uh, someone that might be deemed more feminine or more masculine and that you will depending on what life you're in you'll be drawn to that same thing okay that same trait or characteristic mm. and if that is uh, homosexual or heterosexual it doesn't matter to the soul you know mm. and it, the soul wants love um that's nice yeah that's great it's nice and there's um so i read an article by kavita kane in the indian express uh, who said that you know Hindu mythology has displayed ele- elements of gender variance and non 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 heterosexual act- sexual activity, um, which you know I, I quite like that phrase because it's not just homosexual. There's like other variations within the queer community that's not just um, strict cis het mm. um, or cis homo, I guess. But it's often quite subtle and indirect um especially things that have been revised since colonial um influences mm. um but also i think there's also the sort of classic issue that people don't want to talk about for example women's sexuality um so there's you know there's almost no reference to women or lesbians in um or or female queerness in all of these documents i read and i, I read I scanned a lot of documents, mm. a lot of articles. But, you know, there's also, I guess there's also the idea, because it's, it's subtle and it's less direct in these articles or sort of in these ancient texts, could, I guess it could sort of be argued that it w- it's because it was more accepted and so less noteworthy, you know, yeah. in, in the way b- that being like, these two people were together and there's no interpretation there because at the time when it was written... You, it sort of wasn't a big issue mm. whereas now if you're right if you're writing something queer you kind of almost have to explicitly Inclusive. mention yeah, that it's Inclusive. queer because mm. there's been so much repression so do you think it was sort of overlooked and overlooked rather than erased yeah maybe yeah rather than like rewritten mm. yeah which is the case for some things you know um i mentioned last time sappho's poetry has been changed from she to he so mm. that it sounds like she's writing about a man i don't think it's from from what I gathered, I don't think it's the case that it was rewritten to be less queer, but mm. it was just more like not explicitly mentioned, yo, heads up, mm. these characters are gay, or whatever. But um, Was it more sort of focused on just genderless beings and kind yeah. of deities rather than... Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's more... Just more fluid. Yeah, moving away seems, from gender altogether. Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, I mentioned changes of sex, but there's also like quite a lot of homosexual encounters, intersex, and also third gender characters, um, mm-hmm. which is okay. quite cool, in the epics and the um, Puranas, which is the Hindu religious text, and also in folklore. So, um, you know, folklore, um, more oral, but the epics are usually written down. Um, and, it, you know, in a similar way to the, to the Greek uh, mythology there, so I, I had to, I had to go digging. Okay, I had to go digging for some information on uh, ladies, for example, because there's a lot of stuff about if you go and if you if you look up sort of you know nineteen Hindu gods that are are queer, almost all of them about um, gender queerness mm. and some male homosexuality, but almost no lesbian content at all mm. as we experienced before so i did some digging and it was actually uh devdut who came through again for me and he has an article on his website on um <clears throat> how to spot a lesbian in sacred indian art um and i i i love it i wish more people would do it it's a great <laughs> 
great content. This is a great website. Yeah. Dev.org or dev.com. Dev.com. And yes. it's it's really good, honestly. Um, so he had he had this to say to people who are in denial or who deny that there's lesbians in folklore. He said, if the question disturbs you, it could be because of four common reasons. First, you're simply homophobic and can't tolerate the idea of same-sex desires. Secondly, you're puritanical or monastic and feel the sacred must not be contaminated with anything sexual. Third, you simply assume that all women in sacred art desire men or gods by default and not women or goddesses. Or fourth, you believe women on temple walls are simply the objects of desire for men and not women. Which I think is really interesting. So he, he, he went on to sort of mentioned that there's a lot of male gaze washing i'm going to call it of art and depictions of women enjoying sex and being like well they you know they just did that because men want them to and like completely disregarding the idea that maybe maybe ladies like having sex with each other and maybe they can be fickle and shallow as well and you know down in down in the rough yeah exactly exactly (laughs) yeah so so it's it's a really good point and there's a there's a temple i'll Hang on, I'll, I'll describe it. I'll tell you the name of it in a second. I can't remember what it is. But um, there's lesbians doing things on temple walls or women doing things to other women. Um, so in the mm-hmm. Kajurajo temple, uh, there's depictions of people doing like all sorts of sexy, sexy stuff. So um, and, and, and one element of that is demonstrating that the importance of sexual desire and experiences mm. within within Hinduism, not just about the fact that it's quite gay. <laughs> but there's a number of gay male relations depicted, um, BJs, things like that. Um, there's some orgies, uh, which isn't necessarily like a strictly speaking queer activity, but there's, you know, within those orgies, there's men touching men and women touching women. Mm. So, you know, there's this sort of queer elements to it. And it has a depiction of um, a group of women, quote, making love to one another, doing the do. Uh, just and sexy folk. Just, you know? just sexy, sexy folk having around. a sexy time, immortalised in stone, you know? And, and you know, he says, maybe this is the same as lesbian porn directed for the male gaze or optional intimacy for those who have an aversion to men as a result of abuse. Okay. Which is like, yeah, like maybe, like that's fine. Hey, he's throwing it out there, Devdut. He's throwing it out there. He's trying to give people reasoning for why this might be there. But, you know, either way, whatever the reason is that these ladies were doing it is valid, you know? Um, it happened. There was, yeah, yeah it happened. I, once I um, I said to a friend, actually, when I was at uni, so I said, I said that I was worried that I was only gay because I'd had bad experiences with men. And it had been playing on my mind for, like, quite a long time. And I'd, I'd been really, really quite tormented over it because I think I'd, I'd questioned my validity as a queer person based on that. And she said to me, she just sort of turned around and was like, who cares? If you're gay for that reason or if you're gay just because it's in your, like, in your genetics, like, who cares? Whatever reason you have for being queer, that's fine. Mm. And to be honest, I think it was probably one of the most influential conversations I've had about my sexual and about, like, embracing, yeah, my, yeah. like, myself and accepting that it doesn't really matter why. It doesn't matter how you got there, but you can start from here and springboard and yeah, just, yeah exactly and i think you know some you some are. people don't realize they're queer until very late in life and that doesn't make them any less queer yeah. it just means that their journey starts then you know um so yeah i was i was thinking about that um while i was writing things up 
that's so, super interesting. I've got some examples. Okay. Because I, I, well, I figured I, you know, I can't go go through all of that rigmarole and not not tell you about some things. So there's um there's Shiva, who is ultimately uh, like the ultimate embodiment of masculinity. Um, destroyer, Shiva destroyer. Um, he has another androgynous form, which is Ardhanavishvara. I said that with a Swedish nice. accent I think, <laughs> rather than an Indian accent. Sorry. I'll buy it. Can you say that? Ardhanavishvara. Yeah, let's go with that. I'm gonna let Daisy say that for me because I honestly I've I've watched YouTube videos on how to say it and I've listened to it and I've read it and I've read the phonetic spelling and it's it's not going into my little dyslexic brain. Um, but okay, so that so that person is a composite of both Shiva and Parvati, who yeah, is okay. his wife. Okay, so Parvati wished to share his experience, and so their physical forms became literally joined. And so in the depictions of them mm. together, it's normally divided straight down the middle, half male, half female, mm -hmm. to show that the inner feminine and masculine can co coexist together. Yeah. And there's no kind of, there's no reason they can't exist together. Yeah. There's also Vishnu, who is regard regarded as the protector of the world and is clearly depicted as gender fluid. So frequently takes the form of female Mahini and even made a baby with Shiva like this. Um, Mahini frequently gets described as, as an enchantress who maddens lovers. Yes. Then there's Shikandi, who is a warrior character. So in most tellings of the Mahab, Mahabharata, which is one of the two major Sanskrit epics of ancient India, um, was assigned female at birth uh, but changed gender later. And in one version, they were raised as male, by their dad, by the king, and was betrothed to a princess. And after they got married, the princess made some complaints. <laughs> um, and so Shikandi fled to the forest and met um, Yaksha, who is a nature spirit. And then they exchanged genders and so then lived as a man married to um, the princess. Okay. It's very sweet. Then How there's. Of these, you know, these examples, they're not very passive, you know, they're very bold character you know yeah they're not like characters. oh so there were i mean i took a lot of these from a um one of those 19 queer hindu gods articles some of them i i was just i was not really taken with because they were kind of the, a rehash of the same story of yeah. being like this god wanted to bone this person so they just changed gender because i think for a lot of those ones it's just kind of trying to justify the fact that two male characters would have sex being like oh well they changed into a woman and then that was allowed so i'm trying to i tried to pull out the more, found a way around it <laughs> yeah exactly loopholes i thought it'd be um better to pull out some more i don't know more in-depth ones yeah. and yeah they, they are as well they're, they're important characters they're not just like side gods you know <laughs> these are the main freaking main gods. boys <laughs> okay so there's bahuchara mata who um, is a character in one story who was travelling with her sisters and then she was threatened by a um, baddie, I'm going to say, like a, like a highwayman. I think that basically they got mugged, yeah, by this character called uh, Bapia, who... Bapia the bandit. Yeah, the bandit. And so uh, Bahachara Mata and her sisters... Uh, so it says self-immolated their breasts... And that's so that's so much more specific than like cutting off your boobs. Like they burned off their wow. breasts. And as a result, uh Bipia was cursed to be impotent until he dressed and acted as a woman. Okay, so weird though that is today, um So that was the spell I don't That's it. That's okay. all you need to know. Just because okay. of that. 
immolation. Right. Yeah, yeah. So um, today, Bahuchara uh, Mata is worshipped as the origin originator and patron of the Hidras, which is the trans and intersex people of India, and the third gender as well. So, uh, sorry, Hidras are not the third gender, but as the third gender as well. Mm. Although they do prefer to use the term Kina or Kina um, instead of Hidra. And Kina is another mythological being who is particularly good at uh, singing and dancing. Mm. Yeah, it's a nicer, I think it's a nicer connotation, I think. <laughs> so there's Agni, who is married to both the goddess um, Svaha and the male moon god Soma. So polyamory but sort of you know one on either side Mm -hmm. and the british scholar phil hine i like this uh, says that agni gave a divine blowjob to shiva as well resulting in the birth sorry resulting in the birth of skanda the god of war which i thought was quite Mm -hmm. funny so last good to mention it as well you know (laughs) yeah the divine (laughs) blowjob the wording of that was just so wonderful. <laughs> then there's Mitra and uh, Baun, who are... So they're sometimes represented as, like, the epitome of brotherly love and affection. Although I would argue that, like, quite a lot of queer partnerships have been straight-washed by saying, oh, they were like brothers or they were <laughs> like sisters, you know? So I don't really buy into that whole thing because yep. ancient texts of the Brahmana, which is a, a religious text again depict the two as the alternate phases of the moon so they join in same-sex relationships on nights of the new moon mitra injects his semen into varuna to start the moon cycle and the favor is returned on the full moon so just a saucy saucy time for everybody (laughs) right so we've got uh, one final one who i just quite like this uh she's called bhagavita devi so devi just means goddess Mm -hmm. Um, and they are considered the goddess of cross-dressing. And every year, more than 5,000 male worshippers worshippers dress as women for the ritual Chame Avilaku, which is the, a festival in Kolam. And yeah, so that's that's going to be my summary of... That sounds great. ...sort of queer folklore in Hinduism. It's not as in-depth as it could be. You know, there's so much content to cover. There's a and, lot, you know, it's oh, it's an old one. It's an old religion. You know? Oh, it's There's so old. It's just—it's absolutely thousands and thousands of years old. And because it's sort of developed from just kind of cultural traditions before there was more formal religious practices, it's—you know—it really does follow this idea that our understanding of the human condition is reflected in our folklore. Mm. And although it has been influenced by colonizers, the the British colonizers it still does actually retain quite a lot of its its sort of diversity, its queerness, its roots. And it's, Mm. I don't know, it feels like such a shame that so much of it is, has been wiped away Mm. because it's vibrant, you know, there's a, there's a vibrance to it and an excitement and a kind of human, uh, human element to it that you don't, you don't always get with some myths. I don't know for me, Mm. for example, like Norse myths don't have as much, fun or mischief as the greek myths or the hindu myths because there's i don't know maybe maybe they've been going on longer and they've had more time to develop and people add bits in here and there but it's just it's just fun and it's it's this it's just such a a clear message that queerness isn't new Mm. in any way you know because it's this is a a thousands of year old religion way of life and 
it's got all this queerness in it. I mean, queer people just want to see, you know, see the the trajectory, you know, see the direction of travel and see themselves in history, right? You know, mm. and you know, we've been there. Um, we are there. We were there. We're not a you new know, phenomenon. Yeah, it shouldn't be, you know, erased sort of retrospectively. Um, and it's yeah, it's hard that you know, it's sad that we have to dig to find these things out, you know, mm. um, and that maybe you know, maybe it's something to do with shame, and as, you know, as you say the hindu folklore is is really vibrant and proud and you know and fun and maybe other you know other cultures are less fun because there's that element of shame or you know mm. it's not as open you know not everything is like you know sealed with a magnificent divine blowjob you know <laughs> it's, it's maybe you know you can know, you imagine how good that blowjob must have been if it was divine yeah. labeled immediately as divine <laughs> just want to put hope. this down is someone recording this um, yeah exactly and it is you know there, there is so much thoughts shame. on this blowjob divine absolutely divine darling, darling. <laughs> uh yes yeah, so that was just it was amazing i think like you said, we shouldn't need to dig so hard. And it was just, I was looking on Wikipedia and there was just nothing. Mm. There was almost nothing. And it was like, oh, well, in in some depictions of the text, there is this version of this person who may or may not have been a different gender at some point. Mm. I was like, this isn't fun. It's all speculation and, mm. and no kind of, you know, just say. Just yeah. Say were, so know, I had to go and, and look at, like, paid-for resources in order to, to get the content I needed. And it's so easy to access mm straight content yeah and it's so hard to access queer content yeah and it just it sucks that does suck mm. you know we can't all be in you know moving in the in the academic circles and you know have access to that if you are a queer academic um you know share share, share send us your shit yeah send it send it out we'd love <laughs> to talk about it yeah because i was yeah actually i was reading twitter like it's a book i was on twitter <laughs> And I was reading, someone was saying, you know, if you buy an article from a publisher, the money goes entirely to the publisher. Mm. So if you know an, an author of a paper and you want to see their paper without having to go through a paywall, just email them or contact them or DM them or whatever. And they will happily yeah. send you their document, their, their paper for free because they can. And so I think I might start doing that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just make sure that, that you know living in and working and you know have an intimate connection say hey send it over sup yeah <laughs> slide into the dms yeah i'm here for the queer shit <laughs> hinduism intersex and intersex into it in such a way that's what karma sutra man <laughs> come on yep that's where it's at <laughs> they read the book right uh you know my my topic is uh unrelated completely totally mm -hmm. unrelated um so i mentioned earlier i've been having a bit of a you know a bit, a bit more of a existential crisis feeling a bit of anxiety and i think it's because you know i'm i'm approaching 30 um it's, you know milestone birthday and it's um, a great birthday <laughs> i've just you know i you know i spent some time you know i was surrounded this weekend by you know friends of mine who have you know, got their shit together and who are procreating, um, oh no. raising tiny humans of their own. And, you know, up until now, I'd felt, you know, indefinitely youthful. And now I... <laughs> Do you know what? I'm absolutely... I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared of... Why? I'm scared specifically of teenagers. Oh. I'm scared of mm. the... I'm scared of you. Ute. Ute. The ute. Well, um, and why? I just said it anyway, so I was like, God, I can't be the only one. I was like, how did this happen? Like, when did, you know, 
when did I become like less punky and you know more I don't know parental and old. and old. When did yeah, I become yeah, yeah. old? Man. I was like, I think the you know the epitome of becoming old is being suspicious of fucking teenagers. And I was like, oh my god, this can't be me. Anyway, and then what reminded me of that is uh, is. <laughs> Um, I was listening to uh, My Chemical Romance came on the came on the radio and that line uh, teenagers scared the living shit out of me a and I was like I was like listen dude like Gerard Way the vocalist of My Chemical Romance <laughs> I was like why are you scared of teenagers you're like you know kind of punk and you know you you kind of you're hard you 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 got your life together why are you scared of teenagers and apparently that inter- you know that lyric was inspired by um, him finding himself on a New York City like subway carriage surrounded by high schoolers and he says this is the first time I felt old and I was nervous and that I was a target and I was like this is mad like you are you know you are a grown grown up and you are suddenly he felt like a target he felt like a target and I was like this is you know what is this um, and he said that you know I felt like I'd become a parent figure or a part of the problem so suddenly it's that moment where you're like I'm not a punk anymore because I'm part of this like suspicious, like adulthood that is just like oh, why do we fear thought, and demonize? I, I thought punk was never dead. Punk's <laughs> not dead, so punk can't get old and die. Man, I've had this whole like existential crisis now about this. Um, anyway, so there is, you know, I was questioning like when does the young punk become the role of the kind of protector and protecting what as well? Like what mm. are, you know what are, what are, what are grown ups protecting and what are we parenting and you know are. Okay, are you teen- parenting a word? Mm. Oh, parenting. parenting. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just so confused. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. That's I'm not what I've heard. Yeah, the young call it something different now. Um, <laughs> our te- you know, are our teenagers you know periods of temporary deviance, and are young adults then you know demonised as temporary sociopaths? So I got oh, like gosh. super into this kind of you know the conversation about youths and you know the disconnect between. Um, yeah, that kind of those kind of limbo years, mm. basically, and you don't um, really know what's going on, and everyone sucks. Yeah, and yeah. also like the youth are demonised quite a lot. Yeah, they are definitely. And I, you know, you know, you you can't. Anyway, I'll come on to this. All right. You know, there's a lot that's outside of your control because you haven't figured your shit out, and yet there is this kind of generational divide in some cases. You know, um, in this country, I would say. And so the word, uh, my word of the week is uh, ephibophobia. Mm. Ephibophobia, which I know is. Well. An abnormal and persistent fear of teenagers. There is no uh, definitive causes of ephibophobia, uh, nor are there any known treatments for the condition. Shit. You just have to be scared and alone, and you know, and it's not—it's it, not fe- <laughs> feeling no old. Evidence. You know, you don't know—you know—you know why? I'm not—you know. I am. Yeah. Well, I was I, as you said that. Like my partner and I went on a walk after work. You know, stretch our legs. We she did ninety steps all day, so we <laughs> decided to take a walk. And we walked around this uh, residential area in this kind of block of, near this block of flats. Um, and there was three teenagers. Or, I mean, they might have been 20, but not very progressed. But they probably treat teenagers. And I noticed that one of them was staring at us. And then as we walked past, I looked behind me and he was still staring at us. And I was like, I was filled with this kind of dread. I was like, oh, if they wanted to kick the shit out of us, they just could they just could and i'd no no reason to assume that that's something they were considering yeah and that they weren't just being like 
Look at that. Look at that, yeah. There's two people. There's two blobs, and yeah. Yep, there's, like, maybe, you know, did they notice that we were smoking weed or yeah, something yeah. kind of thing? Well, this is it, you know, just trying to, you know, connect to, you know, connect to teenagers and... You know, I don't have I don't have any teenagers in my in my life. I don't interact with any teenagers at all. And maybe this is when the disconnect happens. And you know, I was really trying to interrogate why I've suddenly got this kind of fear of a fear of teenagers and whether it was a fear and if it was if it was grounded in any sort of um fact um and it's not it's you know, I think the interrogation should be more on, you know, um, adult insecurities and adult anxiety so you know I, I don't know I'm just feeling the divide more than ever seeing as I considered myself in, in ten, like eternally youthful and you do then, look eternally youthful oh, thank you darling um, you know I look like a you know prepubescent um, teen myself sometimes and you know maybe it's just suddenly that divide maybe it's a you know maybe it's a kind of language thing as well and you know technology I'm gonna go on to all of this but uh so something that happened over yeah, I just feel like I'm caught in limbo at the moment, and um, I, I I wouldn't consider myself a fully-fledged adult, yet my teenage years are undoubtedly behind me, mm. right? So I'm in this kind of limbo state, and, you know, when I, as I turn 30, I, I have to call myself an adult, because what, you know, I'm not, I'm not a youth, I'm not yeah. a youth anymore. I can feel youthful, but, you know, that time has, you know, I've moved up the age bracket. Anyway, so something that happened over lockdown mm-hmm. is... Uh, my flatmate uh, called called the police because uh, he witnessed a group of teenagers uh, congregating in a local park in April. So right in the middle of the coronavirus lockdown uh, when everyone was told to stay indoors. Mm. Um, and I kind of was questioning, like, when did, when did we become those people? You know, obviously I was kind of interrogating his decision to do that because I was like, when did we become... You know, one 15-year-old is, you know, not interrogating. Two 15-year-olds, not too bad suddenly you know five six seven you know ten ten fifteen year olds why is that why is that is it just the number of like the sheer like number of people well hang on specifically with the situation of it being a pandemic Mm -hmm. i feel like that that's slightly different to usual circumstances but then equally like you said as, as the number increases it does feel more and more threatening and i wonder if that's linked to this idea that the more the larger a crowd is the more diminished the responsibility mm. and you end up with sort of mob mentality yeah. when you're a crowd so you feel like the more people you're faced with the more threatening they are mm. you know you can reason with one or two people you can't yeah. reason with 10 yeah. you know so is it that you know i was questioning whether is it that teenagers have become you know more threatening or is mm. it that as adults we have just become because you, you can't understand them you know absolute wusses yeah um, and i think it is you know you feel what you don't understand right and i was I, so I've, i had a bit of a crisis about this this podcast is turning into just what i've what has daisy had a crisis about this week um <laughs> how is daisy doing yeah so not, te- good man, not, <laughs> not good man not good teenagers are often vilified by the old you know seen as non-contributing drains on the economy you know they don't understand let's dismiss them you know, groups of teenagers still relentlessly gathering despite the kind of COVID-19 regulations. This is something that we that we can look at, you know, and is this because teens live outside of a kind of politically connected social group? Mm. You know, is there a polit- political disengagement due to the fact, you know, they're not of the legal age to vote. So why would they care what the government, who they have no connection to, yeah. are saying? And they're also told, told um, 
before the age of 18 that their opinion doesn't really matter at all exactly you know they're you know they're not governed by this authority because they've had no say in how it's been assigned and elected mm. and you get this with you know a lot of isolated marginalized groups you know there is a disconnect to the political and you know i think it's worth i think it's worth looking at you know are today's youth then not connected with um criminal acts and um political anarchy because they have been isolated are we t- you know in, t- in school teenagers are taught that ageism and discrimination is is bad is wrong and yet in their sort of day-to-day experience of the world they are they are you know receiving that Mm. They're receiving that discrimination. I feel like you would be called out so much more if you were to, you know, target another um, marginalised group. You know, whether it's you know whether it's queer people, disabled people, mm. um, ethnic minorities. Like you would be called out for that shit. Mm. And you're sort of not. You're kind of brushed off and shrugged away when it's talking about um, you know young people. And I think we should look closer at adult, the adult anxiety. And you know maybe it's because in this, in the UK perhaps we're not embedded intergenerational connections are not embedded you know we don't live with our elders we don't mm. necessarily you know yeah, nuclear families disconnect. you don't necessarily interact with children unless you are a teacher or have children yourself or in your life you know mm. i think it's become a bit more sort of um you know prominent now because adults are forced have been forced because of covid19 to exist more in virtual spaces than ever before Mm -hmm. and perhaps there's this kind of you know people feel ill-equipped for the digital age and they envy the youth um you know their knowledge and advanced understanding yeah i think it can be really frustrating you know if you i remember when i was first when i first got a, a computer at home my brother and I just used to be on it. Well, my brother used to be on it all the time, and I was I would watch him use the computer because that was all there was to do. And he would just work out. He would just work out how to do things. He would go on to he would go on to MySpace. He would go on to Bebo mm-hmm. and like eventually Facebook and just do all this stuff and be connected with his friends, even though he wasn't old enough to go out. He wasn't old enough to drive and mm-hmm. go see them. He had to be confined to these spaces. And you know, my parents moved like halfway down the country when when I was like uh, seven and they lost touch with loads of their family and yeah. friends because they didn't know how to do it yeah. and so I like there surely would have been some kind of pain there that my brother was able to keep in touch with his friends but they weren't able to keep in touch with theirs yeah definitely and they, you know that kind of inevitable resentment even if it's not you know conscious or mm. I think there is I don't know. I've been so I read a couple of um, a couple of articles and I watched a couple of uh, videos. One of the videos I watched um, was a talk by David Finkelhor called "The Internet, Youth Deviance, and the Problem of Juvenoia. Uh And Juvenoia is like another like word paranoia, for the like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the juveniles. Um, and I also read some kind of um, you know site notes um, about uh, an essay called "Framing Youth: Ten Myths About the Next Generation" by Mike Mails. You know, and how it's discussed that, you know, ordinary, perfectly ordinary teenagers are kind of a very, you know, are the new demons. So, you know, and, and obviously there are some factors, you know, there's, um, you know, we could look at gender and we could look at race. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying not to get too kind of political about it. Um, and just to stick with age. Yeah. I think there are definitely factors. Um, mm. You know, if you see a, a group of, you know, majority, like, you know, young young boys it might be a bit more maybe it's threatening on a whole different you know level for oh yeah but let's just say let's just say lots of young people so 
New York University professor Pedro Noguera has suggested that the fear of youth extends beyond colour boundaries, as skateboarders, punks and even straight-laced suburban teenagers can evoke anxiety amongst adults by congregating in large numbers. So it's just, you know, purely the the sheer amount. Yeah, just, just being confronted with a crowd. I remember, so the same friend that I spoke to that I mentioned earlier about, you know, when I told her I was worried I was queer just Mm. because um, of bad experiences with men, her, she was talking to me about anxiety and I had, I have a really big issue talking in front of um, groups of people, like, you know, giving presentations Mm. at work and all this. Actually, COVID lockdown has been a godsend. I haven't had to stand up in front of anybody in a long time. But she was saying that, you know, evolutionarily, if you're stood up, and a whole crowd of people are looking at you, it's probably not good news, yeah. okay? So, like, it, being mm. confronted by a crowd of any kind is scary in itself, yeah, yeah. let alone if it's... It's like being, you know, on in the, you know, in the block, you know, as a criminal, you know, it's this kind of, if you're singled out, you're isolated. Mm. I, I think there's a lot to be said about that. You know, and so I was questioning, like, how much of um, this paranoia comes from, you know, fear-mongering and mass media panic. Mm. Um, you know, is our limited compassion for young people obviously exasperated by factors such as race, class, and socioeconomic backgrounds? But so I was looking at somebody um, who I admire, um, a writer and poet, um, who kind of addresses this um, in his work, uh, Caleb Femi, who was the former Young People's Laureate for London. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of Femi's work addresses the negative ways in which today's youth, often from deprived areas of the capital, are perceived. And in an interview, he said a lot of young people get talked about in the media like they're adults. And that was a huge problem for me. At the same time, there are a lot of people who, you know, talking about the issue of youth violence in a very statistical way, you know, it's very inhumane. For me, that was problematic because these are young black people who are experiencing so many traumatic things and nobody is talking about their well-being. Mm. And I think, it's you know, it's easy to you hear about, you know, teenage violence and then you you forget that it's just a teenager trying to you know figure stuff out mm. um so on um on Caleb Femi's EP slog um he looks at this disconnect and displacement and offers uh, the youths just want to be left alone the youths just want a new home which mm. I thought was nice um and I was listening I was listening to this album um and in the song gentle youth he states that the news says us youths will come for you in the small of the night. What we're actually doing is making music, tweeting, gramming, unwrinkling ni- nightlight from skin. Mm. Um, which I thought was, you know, lovely. And it kind of humanises things. And I think as queer people, we can connect to this, you know, a lot. And um, Yeah, like unfounded kind of not like interrogation of mm. why 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 do you exist why are you like it's this, prejudice you know? and it's discrimination and yeah you know and it, it you know what is that founded on you know i was finding myself being like teenagers scare the living shit out of me and i was like why why do we why do we do that mm. um you know can we not relate to teenagers as queer people and that, well i think as as a as a queer person though growing up when i did where i did it was not cool to be gay. It wasn't. It wasn't okay, really, like mm. at all. I wasn't out really, and I heard the way other people talked about queer people, gay people, faggots, you know, trannies, that sort of thing. And so, my one of my strongest associations with teenagers is 
bullies and mm. being bullied mm. or like you That's know not indirectly being bullied and just thinking if i if they see me and they look at how queer i look mm. are they gonna come for me are they, are they yeah. gonna like try and have a go and that's something that i really struggle with is like letting go of that and realizing that you know generations move on yeah so at the moment i'm trying to spend more time with my partner's family she has a 13 year old cousin who is a 13 year old cousin and like acts like a 13 year old <laughs> boy and he is a, like most people find him in most people in the family find him really annoying and mm. don't want to give him time but actually you know i if I found that if I give him time, mm. he's he's great. Yeah. He's perfectly fine, and he's just like a, he's just a normal kid, and he doesn't yeah. care. He's never like he's never said anything like anti-gay to me at all or anything like that. And I know that he could if he wanted to because he's just a teenager. Mm. But you know, it's a different generation to the one that I grew up in. And yeah, yeah. do you think like we you know can we project onto teenagers? Um, the idea that you know teenagers are horrible but then you forget what it's actually like to be a teenager and mm. receive that kind of yeah you know bullying and discrimination and you know so i think you know the queer community can should be combating the myth that you know teens are violent thugs mm. and it should be more about you know humanizing you know and being seen in the world in the same way that we are, are fighting and continue to you know strive to be seen and to have our history you know, forefront of mm. <laughs> forefront of the Wikipedia page. You know, um, yeah. And there's really this whole this whole thing of just like not listening to young people about their experience. Yeah. Whether that whether that's just the experience of being a teenager and how horrible <laughs> puberty is, it's yeah. awful. Or if it's saying, you know, I'm I'm queer, and not having people be like, oh, you're too young to know though, and then having to go through those additional yeah. years of not knowing. Yeah, definitely. So what if? What if we were to perceive teenagers as gentle tribes, curious modern creatures rather than violent deviants that choose to live outside of social norms and structures? You know, it, it's not a choice. As a teenager, I wanted to feel included and heard. I joined the school council. I was mm. you know, super nerdy about... I was keen to engage with teachers Dork. outside of the classroom and represent my clan, you know. And <laughs> why can't the, um, you know, the initial prejudice be positive? Like, let's... Mm. Um, you know, and we need representatives. This is why um, there is such interest and in controversy surrounding like Greta Thunberg. Mm. So there needs to be this intergenerational discussion. Um, it can't be like, well, this is a phenomenon. You know, this this you know, fourteen year old is mm. engaged. You know, she's not fourteen anymore. But when she you yeah. know was kind of starting um, to kind of politically. Uh, you know disengage and you know create some hype um the hype was created around her it was really con it was controversial and it, yeah. you know everyone had an opinion about it um and i think people kind of forget that it is you know it's, it's a teenager and yeah and i think oh, but people use that against her so much you know being mm -hmm. like oh what does she know and it's like well yeah lots yeah she lots knows plenty lots. and also you don't have to be as we have found out you don't have to be an expert mm -hmm. to talk about a topic that you're passionate about <laughs> exactly or to to lead a movement you have to have the drive because the people who have the knowledge will follow you yeah. if they also have the drive. We have to learn from, you know, intergenerationally, we have to learn from people who have like many years under their belt, but also they have to, there needs to be this kind of peer, like reverse mentorship, mm. I think. I think it's really important. You know, David Attenborough thanking Greta Thunberg for her work rather than dismissing it on account of her mm. age, that is an important angle. And I think a lot of, 
world leaders have done have dismissed her because of her age um well yeah inclu- you know obviously including russian president vladimir putin referring to her as kind but poorly informed teenager mm. and the use of the word teenager there is you know is derogatory and it is meant to sort yeah. of degrade and associate her with you know it's removing her, yeah and... it's removing her from her personhood because rather than mm. saying a young person you're yeah. saying oh she's just a teenager it's like it's like a a broad stroke kind of yeah you know in this in this respect so i think you know so queer youth let's talk about queer youth often raised by the internet a lot of my queer childhood which ran similarly like alongside my uh my my regular education yeah (laughs) childhood at the time the internet was becoming a thing when i was young the Mm -hmm. websites i read to find out about queerness were not (laughs) they weren't like naughty but they were not well put together no. at all. You know, it was a font of it's a you know it's a font of culture and knowledge now, um, that does not discriminate the way that politics does. Um, mm. Career identity and the lack of intergenerational representation or a lack of that kind of trajectory through line, like any marginalised group, queer youths are often forgotten unless there is a focus on their kind of violent behaviour or social dissonance. Mm. So I just think we need to be looking. You know, we need to be looking out for the youth of today because there are there are there are queer people in there and there are people who are gonna it's a it's the limbo years where you're forgotten about or mm. dismissed and i think queer people have you know have all known how that feels and i was i was just trying to interrogate myself as to why i am feeling you know i'm scared of teenagers pr- currently because i feel that i am far away from them and i think mm. you know maybe i just need to hang out with a you know with a 13 year old and they can teach me, you Maybe know, teach you me, tell me about TikTok. You know, I oh, don't know. I'm scared of it. It's I don't mad. know. <laughs> it's absolutely mad, mate. So I, I, I play Minecraft with him yeah. online sometimes. This, um, my partner's cousin, and like I'm, I'm fine at Minecraft. I have to have like a, a wiki page open so I can look up how <laughs> to do things sometimes. Whatever, like whatever makes it work, that's fine. But you know, when I play with him, he just, he's just like reeling off all this information you know he wants to share he wants to help me learn how to play this game that he really likes yeah um and it is enjoyable but actually talking about queer youth i've um i've put in an application to become like a a mentor for lgbt youth Mm. with a charity in in london i had applied before lockdown but then they cancelled all interviews so my interview got cancelled so i've applied again because i just yeah it's so important and i wish i wish that someone had taken me seriously when i was young and Mm -hmm. being like Oh my god, what's going on? Just taking an interest. Yeah, yeah, taking interest, even if it wasn't about queer shit, if it was just someone that could have been there that could have felt safe, um, mm. it would have been nice. So I kind of, I'm trying to do this partly from a selfish reason of kind of like maybe giving back will help heal me a bit, but also because, you know, that's how I see myself as having an impact on the mm. world is, is giving back. And, you know, teenagers get such a bad rap, but they just, if you just listen to them. Mm. It's people just want yeah people want to be seen and heard and listened to you know maybe there needs to you know there needs to be peer mentorship and reverse mentorship mm. um, you know get some you know I'm not saying and it doesn't always have to be you know Greta it can be you know just politicians should get you know kids in in the room sooner you know mm. sure they can't vote but they have they have opinions and they should be voiced you know maybe there's a a 15 minute bulletin from you know the youth of today and mm. it, you know we need to break down that you know the ceiling and the you know mm. the glass floor. i do i do genuinely believe that they should lower the voting age 
because there was talk ages ago just sort of like a rumor that that they were thinking about lowering the voting age to 16 Mm. and i was like that'd be really good yeah because what you're then doing is you're you're voting on the rest of your life Mm -hmm. okay if you're voting when you're you know 80 or something yeah you're not voting on the consequence for that much more of your life no offense but um if you're 16 and voting you do have a lot more consequence riding on the Mm. decision that you make and really when i was 16 like people would actually take it seriously yeah yeah. they would take their decision seriously some people would be assholes but some people do that anyway and when they're adults (laughs) so it's not that different you know yeah i think if you if you did lower the voting age you know they would be teenagers may be engaged politically sooner Mm. um and you know they are you know it's 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 their future god i sound old it's their future future and they Um, know what they want from it you know and maybe maybe i do trust a teenager with a microphone more than i you know with or with a platform more than i would you know an older uh you know an older non non non-queer person who i think doesn't have my interests or hasn't considered my interests you know Mm. a teenager they're up to date they know the terminology mm. you know a lot of the time and they're yeah their brains are so fast they're just oh up my to god date, they pick know? up all the things they, they hear know the everything internet, back to front and <laughs> all of it all the internet you know they can just retain that information and they're just they're you know leaps and bounds ahead of some of the people who are in parliament today and that's a huge swooping generalization wow. I, I don't know i don't think it's fair or unfair <laughs> it is just a statement that happened but i'm feeling incredibly old now just wanted to drag you all the way up to my level. Yeah, um, down. down. Down to the level. <laughs> I don't know, the numbers are only going up for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can just... The thing is, I've been sat with my legs crossed for this whole thing and, and I'm starting to feel the ache in my knees and that's really not good, is it? <laughs> well, I think that we should maybe end it there. and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I need to go stretch my legs. We all need to go have, you know, have a bath and an early night. A nice... Gotta have a nice <laughs> Horlicks. Um, but yes, but so... Horlicks is a brand we trust. Where we trust... <laughs> Uh, Thank you for listening, and I guess, um, bye. Peace out. Stay youthful. Stay youthful, guys. Bye.